0: Well, good morning. How are you on this Thanksgiving Day Sunday? Thankful. Thankful. That's a good way to be. Uh, how many of you read the Pasadena Star News? Yep. Did you see the church in there today? Uh, this week, rather? Yes. A couple of you did. Well, Thursday morning I was studying feverishly, and Isabel Lorgard called me up, and she was quite excited, and she said, Pastor, did you see the paper? And I said, well, uh, I glanced at the headlines before I left, but no, I didn't read it. And she said, well, did you see the church in the paper? And I said, no, I didn't. So she proceeded to tell me that First Baptist Pasadena was in the news. Now, let me read the headline to you. Some of you can see this if you're on the front row. That's the front row tickets. What's it say? (laughs) Crime scene. (laughs) Crime scene. Sounds like CSI or something going on here and it says crime scene, and if you can see the lower right-hand corner here is a picture of our church, First Baptist Church, Pasadena. Now, what this is about, it says, Sinister past emerges in an unsolved mystery tour. And so this is about people going around Pasadena uh, solving mysteries from long ago, and uh, there's our church. (laughs) Nice. Now, what it says there is, Below, I'll read you the line. It says, a tame bear named Bess escaped her cage and took refuge in the first Baptist church, Pasadena, in 1912. (laughs) Now, it's got a picture of our current church, but I want to pick, I don't think this was the building here. Since this was built in 1924, that's probably the building that the bear went into. But, you know, all my life, I've thought, there are some Baptists who are bears. (laughs) now I think they're barely Baptists, but I guess they are Baptists, so uh let's move on. Um enough about that. But anyhow, we were in the news. It's not the way you want to be in the news, but uh you gotta there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? So some of you if you were here to hear me if you're here for the first time, you hear me to talk about the bear. Uh I barely know any more than this about it, so uh I'm gonna move on. But some of those, some of us, I'm sure, were here in 1912. We can fill, fill in the details. This morning, I want to talk to you from uh, the Scriptures. In just a moment, I'll, I'll direct you to where we're going to go. It is Thanksgiving Sunday, and there are lots of texts that we could turn to in the Bible that give thanks. In fact, some of you are probably upset because you have no idea what's going on because you opened your bulletin cover and you looked on that left-hand page, page 2, and there's a psalm. That's almost blasphemy, isn't it? To take the order of worship out and put scripture in? (laughs) I know some of you are upset, but be patient. It wasn't my idea. I'll just blame somebody else. Uh, But we're going to get through this service. We do know where we're going, but there are lots of places you could look in the Bible, like Psalm 100, which is a Thanksgiving Psalm. You could turn there for uh, a word about Thanksgiving. There are a number of Thanksgiving Psalms, in fact. Uh, I have spoken, as most pastors have spoken, in the New Testament. Remember the story of Jesus and the ten lepers that got cleansed? They went for purification to the priest, and only one came back and what? Gave, Gave thanks. And that's a popular Thanksgiving Sunday text. Uh, there are also other texts. You can't read Paul very long without reading about what? Thanksgiving. And some of us have a rather stern view of Paul, but he was one of the most thankful people in all of Scripture. He was constantly thanking God or thanking the churches or thanking His co-workers. He was just filled with thanks. So there are lots of places to go in the Bible for a Sunday morning text for Thanksgiving. However, I don't want to go to any of those places. They're too common. I'd like you to go to the book of Chronicles. Now, there are some Bibles scattered around here, and I think it's on page 290-something in the particular Bibles in the pew. But in the book of Chronicles... 1 uh, chronicles chapter twenty nine is where I want to land today now i 'm talking about chronicles, not corinthians I know it 's confusing chronicles first and second chronicles are in the Old Testament first and second Corinthians are in the new testament you 're barely Baptist because uh, I would expect a bigger response First and second chronicles are in the first and second corinthians are in the oh that's That's great. Uh, Where where am I? Oh, Chronicles, uh, the word chronicle has to do with the word chronos or time. And the book of Chronicles is really a history or a retelling of history. It's about the times of Israel. Chronicles is kind of a neglected book. Scholars don't read it much. It's just kind of ignored. But it's actually a wonderful book that retells the history of Israel. And it's a great book about worship, as you're going to see in a moment. Corinthians is not about time. It's it's written to people who lived in the city of Corinth, and they were the church there, so they were Corinthians. So we're in Chronicles today, not Corinthians. Have you found it yet? Okay, I want to begin there. And I want to talk today, as I was thinking about being together, what are we thankful for? Now, you may not like the way I've constructed that sentence, but that's okay. Just, Just be thankful I don't use it again next Sunday. I don't know. Uh, But I want to talk to you today, what are we thankful for? And I want to lift up this passage from 1 Chronicles 29 and really hold David up as a model to us to model thanksgiving. Now, David was not celebrating the pilgrims coming to America, you understand that. But he was a very thankful person, and I think as you see his thankfulness, it will overflow into ours and kind of guide us. It's my hope that when you walk out of here today that you are really set up to live this week very thankfully, and not just this week, but to enter into this special time of year as we wrap up 2007. We go from Thanksgiving to Advent to Christmas. It's just a great time of year, and I hope you uh, are thrilled to be entering this time of year. So let's begin, and I want to lift up David. What do we have to be thankful for? And the first thing I've listed is this. We have our future to be thankful for, our future. Now I'm going to put up a scripture, and I'd like somebody to just stand up and read loudly. I love being in the chapel; it's much more intimate. We're kind of closer together. It feels better to me. Uh, who would read this scripture loudly? I can wait. I have till Thursday. So. With all my resources, I provide for the temple of my God. Thank you. Now this comes from the early part of the chapter, and David is speaking. He's the king of Israel. And if you want to cheat and read the end of the book, the last couple of paragraphs, you realize that in this chapter, at the end, David dies. So that tells us David is young or old? old. He's old. Say it again. He's old. He's old. And so picture this old King David as he stands up and he says, "...with all my resources I have provided for the temple of God." Now, I want to underline the word temple of God and talk about that for a moment. Because as you read through the accounts of David... When he began his conquest, and most of Second, uh, First Chronicles is about David. When he began his conquest, there were lots of battles, and he had to defend himself and establish his kingdom. When he finally did that, there came a day when he sat down and said, Wow, this is, you know, I'm coming into the good times. He's into the, the better times of his life. The battles are won. He's consolidated the kingdom, and he lived in a wonderful palace built there in Jerusalem and he said and you can read about this in earlier chapters like 17 and so forth David said uh, I'm dwelling in this palace of cedar panels you can just picture the king's palace but he said where does god dwell and in fact there was no place to worship there was no house of worship you may remember the stories of the ark of the covenant and the tabernacle that was a tent it was a portable thing not real fancy in the sense of you know not glamorous And so David is living in his palace, and he says, you know, I'm in this wonderful, amazing home, and yet we actually have no home for God. And he said, I'd like to build a temple. So he called one of his closest advisors, the prophet Nathan, and he said, Nathan, I want to build a temple. And Nathan said, that's fabulous. Let's do it. And so there's all this excitement about building a temple for God. That night, Nathan went to bed, and as he slept, he dreamt, and God spoke to him and said, "Uh uh-uh, no deal. Get up in the morning and tell David he can't build the temple. How would you like to be Nathan? So he got up in the morning, and he was a good prophet, and he went and said to King David, King David, God says you can't build the temple. Now, think for a moment with me what most kings would do. They'd cut off his head and say, bring me another advisor. This guy's no good. You know, if you don't like the message, get rid of the messenger. And many kings would have done that, but not David. He listened to it. And as you read the accounts of David, I think he was probably brokenhearted, but he listened to Nathan and he said, okay, I guess I can't build the temple. And that's where I want to pause this morning because, uh, and you don't have to raise your hand on this, but if you think back over your life, and remember now David is an old man, if you think back over your life, have there been any no's in your life? I don't mean no's like this, N-O-S-E, and I don't mean K-N-O-W-S, I mean no. In other words, if you've lived your life, have you ever run into things you said, I wanted to do this, or I wanted to be that, or I wanted to accomplish this, and it just didn't happen. You may have gotten a concrete no, or it may have been a long time in coming no, or something like that. What I'm suggesting to you is David got a big no from God. No temple. That's pretty discouraging. And I wrote this as I was praying and studying earlier in the week. David turned God's no to him... Into a yes for his son and the nation. Thankful people move from the no of yesterday to the yes of tomorrow. I believe that. Thankful people move from the no of yesterday to the yes of tomorrow. And I hope you'll go home at some time this week, read through 1 Chronicles 28 and 29, because it's such a rich passage. And I hope you capture what's going on here with David. Just because there is a no in life doesn't mean that's the end of the life. It doesn't mean you have to hang your head and say, well, I can't can't go forward. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of some major no's in life. Some of us wanted to go to particular schools. It never worked out. And we regret that. Some of us may have had career goals, and we said, you know, I really wanted to accomplish this, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen to me. Some of us wanted to get married, and that hasn't happened yet. Some of us are married. No, don't go down that road. <laughs> if you're married and it's not going well, we can pray for you. We can counsel you. We can help you out. There solutions. So uh, you can do better. But you know what I'm talking about? There are some married couples that ha- desperately want children. You may know some of them. I do. But there's a no. They're not having children. And so as we go through life, all of us encounter some no's. And David encountered a huge no. The passion of his heart was God. He was a, a man after God's own heart. He wanted to build this temple. And God said, no, can't do it. So I want to encourage you. I think we have a future to be thankful for. And David models that in this passage. Now, I want to um, give you one more thing that we can be thankful for. And that's acorns or seeds. And I want the ushers to uh, help me out here. We're going to pass the offering, and you get to take something out of the offering plate. So, gentlemen, let's do that as quickly as possible. You should have four plates ready. Somebody get the first half. Somebody get the back half. And uh, I want you to just pass the offering plate and take something out of it. And then let's put this Scripture up there while we're doing that, and uh, I'll read this Scripture for us. Just pass them down. We... There you go. Thanks. Um, let me read this Scripture. Besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of God. This is uh, King David speaking and writing, and you can see what he's done. Then the second scripture. Now, pay attention. David has just given, and then we read this. Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work. Would you read those last two words with me? Gave willingly. Gave willingly. They gave willingly. Now, what is going on here? Well, um, the question I would have for us is, are you planting seeds? What are you getting out of the offering plate? Seeds. Particularly, what kind of seed? An oak tree seed. Isn't that called an acorn? I thought so. Uh, These are not peanuts. Don't eat them. Uh, I did try eating an acorn, but it's kind of bitter. They're nasty. Um, What does an acorn seed do? It grows into a mighty oak, right? This is not hard. You plant the seed, and potentially you have a mighty oak tree that might grow up in 10, 15, 20, be there for 50 years or more. And we have, and if somebody can explain this to me after church, I'll appreciate it, but we have these acorns all over our backyard. We have this gigantic oak tree. And we've lived there for four years. I don't remember it ever raining down so many acorns. They're everywhere. There are thousands of them. And I don't understand. It seems like they've never had so many. Maybe that's my forgetfulness. I don't know. But we got acorns everywhere. Now you've got some acorns. And you can think about it. But th- the point is that sometimes in life, the best we can do is to plant an acorn. You know, we can't create the tree. Now, what's my point here? David, as you read through chapters 28 and 29, what was he doing? God said, no, David, you cannot build the temple. And my thinking is David actually didn't understand why he couldn't build the temple. I think he wrestled with that for a long time. Now, in chapter 28, the reason is given, but I don't think David knew that straight up. But whether he did or didn't, the point is God said no temple. So what did David do? He He didn't kill the prophet and get another prophet and build it anyhow. He didn't sulk. He didn't say, well, forget God. He's let me down here. I've done all this for God and made a great nation here. And, you know, he didn't do any of that. What did he do? Well, he drew up plans for the temple. He hired architects. He hired craftsmen. He hired all kinds of people. And he began preparation for the temple. And he said, well, I may not be able to build it, but by God, and he meant literally by God, if God wills it, it's going to happen, and I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. And so he gave, as it, as the scripture said, all his treasures, this gold, silver, iron, wood, etc. He began to accumulate this so somebody could build a temple. Now the other thing is, if you noticed in the scripture, it says in chapter 29, David gave first, and then it says the leaders or princes of the families. We're not sure what that means, but these princes of the families, they gave, and then the commanders gave, and then the officials gave, and last of all, the whole congregation, all the people of Israel, what did they do? They gave. Why? Because they saw the leaders giving. They saw the king giving. And they got caught up in the enthusiasm and said, yeah, let's get stuff together to build the temple. And the chapter we're reading is actually... The coronation of King Solomon, the son who's going to secede David. And it's this tremendous prayer by David to say, God, help the people. And so he's planting an acorn here. He's doing what he can. He can't build it, but he can sure do what he can to see that it will be built. So I want to encourage you today about acorns. Uh, last Sunday, well, in fact, a couple things I want to do. Uh, last Sunday, we said we were to conclude the World Mission Offering, and I've been challenging you to give to that offering And our goal is how much? Ten thousand dollars. Hold this, Leno. And how much have we given, according to the bulletin? Seven Seven ish. Yeah. So we're not there yet. How much is a cup of coffee? Cup of tea, your latte, gratte, mocha, joka, whatever you drink. Well, I don't know how much it is, but we're going to remember I encourage you to think about what you'd give to the World Mission Offering by giving up a cup and be planning and uh I think we've done well, but we're not there yet. So I'm going to give up several cups and uh, I'm going to pass these out. Leno's going to start passing it around. It's going to make its way to the back, gentlemen in the back. This is for the World Mission Offering, okay? Be sure you don't mix it up with the others. But uh, that's we're planting some seeds here and I hope to plant some seeds that help put us over the goal. Um, Also, I don't know if you saw last week in the bulletin, this focus on the family thing was there. And we put this in the bulletin because there's some encouraging words for families in it. And it noted, it talks about faith going global. It says in 1900, less than 10% of Africa was Christian. You know what the percent is today? 47%, according to this. Wow, that's almost half of Africa. Now, I see Lynn is with us again. When we were in Congo... Uh, somewhere we read some history of missionaries who went to Congo, and there was a time that if you went to Congo as a missionary, you took a coffin with you. Can you imagine? You took a coffin because 50% of the missionaries died in the Congo in the first few years of malaria and other problems. That's a lot of sacrifice, isn't it? As hundreds, I suppose, thousands of missionaries went. But what happened? Some acorns were planted, and now almost half the continent of Africa is Christian and it's growing. That's pretty amazing. Here's another one that was in the bulletin last week. In 1949, China had only 4 million Christians. Today, the estimate is that it's between 40 and 100 million Christians. And um, David Aikman, who was the former Time Magazine bureau chief in Beijing, projects that it's possible within a few decades that one out of every three people in China will be Christian. That's amazing. That's just amazing. Praise God. So you see why I'm talking about acorns today because I do think we have a future and we can be thankful for the future. About 2 billion people in the world named Jesus as Savior today. That's something to celebrate. Amen? So uh, we can be thankful. Now here's um, one, more, one more piece of thanksgiving I want to put out there. Is there a book laying there, Joyce? I'm... Yeah, thanks. Um, This one is the Lord our God. Certainly we can be thankful for God. Who would stand and read uh, this scripture for us? Amen. Thank you. Well done. How many of you have heard the commercial, the Capital One, What's in Your Wallet? You've heard that commercial on TV, What's in Your Wallet? I want to ask you, What's in Your Heart? One of the key words in these closing chapters is the word heart. And you see it in chapter 29, uh, verse 9. Uh, it says, The people gave freely, wholeheartedly, or with all their heart. The people had great hearts to give. And then you see it later. Uh, David says in verse 17, God tests the heart. God checks on our hearts. Gets a heart checkup. And then you see later in David's prayer for Solomon and the people... He says, Lord, would you help the people after I'm gone to have loyal hearts, faithful hearts to you? So there's a lot in here about the heart. Now, I wanted to read a little story to you um, that I came across. Somebody planted a seed. A woman in our church gave me this book. That's another way to plant acorns. You know, you give away good books. And I'm about done with this book by Brandon Manning. He's a Catholic priest. And he tells this story. A pious Jewish couple... Married with great love, and the love never dies. Their greatest hope was to have a child so their love could walk the earth with joy. But there were difficulties. And since they were very pious, they prayed and prayed and prayed, until, along with considerable other efforts, lo and behold, the woman conceived and a child was born. She laughed like Sarah laughed when she conceived Isaac. They named the child Mordecai. He was rambunctious, "'Zestful, gobbling down the days and gulping up the nights. "'The sun and the moon were his toys. "'He grew in years and wisdom and grace "'until it was time to go to the synagogue "'and learn the word of God. "'The night before his studies were to begin at the synagogue, "'his parents sat Mordecai down "'and instructed him on the importance of God's word. "'They told Mordecai that without the word of God, "'he would be an autumn leaf on the winter day, "'and he listened wide-eyed. "'But the next day, Mordecai never arrived at the synagogue.' Instead, he found himself in the woods, swimming in the lake and climbing the trees. When he returned home that night, news of his absence had spread throughout the village. Everyone knew his shame. His parents were beside themselves. They had no idea what to do. So, they brought in a behavior modificationist to modify Mordecai's behavior. (laughs) Until there was no behavior Mordecai of, there was no behavior of Mordecai that was not modified, and they sent him off. they went to bed that night, knowing Mordecai would go to the synagogue and learn the word of God. And the next day, Mordecai found himself in the woods again, swimming in the lake and climbing the trees. So they called the psychoanalyst to analyze and unblock his blockages, and there were no more blockages for Mordecai to unblock. Nevertheless, the next day found him swimming in the lake and climbing the trees. Mordecai's parents were grieved for their beloved son, sorrowful and without hope. And it happened at this time, the great rabbi came to the village. He was an imposing, somewhat fearsome man, revered by all. Mordecai's parents said, Ah, perhaps the rabbi. So they took Mordecai to the rabbi and told their tale. The rabbi bellowed out, Leave the boy with me, and I will have a talking with him. It was bad enough that Mordecai would not go to the synagogue, but to leave their beloved son alone with this lion of a man was most unsettling. But they had come this far, and one does not easily dismiss the command of the great rabbi, so they left the boy and returned home to wait Now Mordecai stood in the hallway and the great rabbi stood in his parlor. He beckoned, boy, come here. Trembling, Mordecai approached the great man. Put down your cloak and your pouch, the rabbi directed, and Mordecai did. And then the great rabbi picked him up and held Mordecai tightly against his heart for a long time. At dusk, Mordecai's parents came to take him home. The next day, Mordecai went to the synagogue, and he learned the Word of God. And when he was done, he went to the woods. And the words of the woods became one with the Word of God, which became one with the words of Mordecai. And he swam in the lake, and the words of the lake became one with the Word of God, which became one with the words of Mordecai. And he climbed the trees, and the words of the trees became one with the Word of God, which became one with the words of Mordecai. And he grew up and he became a great man himself. People seized by panic came to him and found peace. People who were without anybody to came to him and they found a connection. People who, were having, who, people who had no exits came to him and they found a way out. And they asked how he came to possess God's word so powerfully. I first learned the word of God, he said, When the great rabbi held me silently against my heart. This morning on this Thanksgiving Sunday, how's your heart? What's your heart like? Because, you see, living this life here on earth, you can get a broken heart, can't you? You can get a bitter heart. The nose of life can cause great pain. They can cause breakage. Uh, You may have come in this morning with a troubled heart or a lustful heart or a selfish heart. This morning, the nose of life, in fact, may have created a stony heart, a hard heart. That's where God comes in. Because the Bible says the Lord gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh. The Bible says that when we look to God in faith and receive Christ Jesus as our Lord, He gives us a new heart. And this morning, I'm thankful for that new heart for the breaking of the heart of stone or the heart that's hardened or the heart that's broken for the the taking away of that lustful heart and giving a heart of flesh a heart after God's heart that's the kind of heart David had and that's the kind of heart we should have and so this morning I'm thankful for the Lord God who gives us a new heart and is giving us a new heart. Do you have a new heart? Because I think that's the key really to thanksgiving to have the heart of God, the heart God's given us Now, there's one other comment I want to make. What do we have to be thankful for? Why, I think I'm thankful today because I have the ability to give and to dream. I have the ability to give and to dream. Let's go back to David. He's an old man, he's done. And yet, here you see him at the end of his life writing this phenomenal prayer of praise to God for all God's given him. And David is looking toward the future. And if, if we had time to go verse by verse, I could show you he's, he lifts up this tremendous prayer for his son who's going to be king. And he says, God, help Solomon be a good king to build your house. And then he lifts up a prayer for all the people. And he says, God, help all the people as they live their lives to have faithful hearts to you, to be loyal to you, to be faithful. And so this morning, I'm grateful for the ability to give let and to dream. Let's read this scripture together, if you would. Not, whoops, not that one. Is there anyhow? Let me read this scripture to you um, that we've got. We'll read that one in a minute. In in, uh, Chronicles 29: 12 and 13, David says this: "Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In you are in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name." First Chronicles 29: 12 and 13. Now, as you think of David standing before his people, giving this tremendous offering of praise and praying for them, I have a couple of questions, and just listen as I read through these questions. Did King David in his life get everything he wanted? No, absolutely not. Did King David in his life make mistakes, even splendid, spectacular sins? Absolutely, oh yes. Did King David always follow God? You know better. But, did King David love God with all his heart? Yes, he did. He's called the man after God's own heart. Did King David praise God? Well, how many Psalms are in this book written as Psalms of David? Did King David give thanks? Why, you know he did. His heart overflowed with thanksgiving. And so I want to encourage you today to be a thankful person. Uh, When I first became a pastor, Bill Nelson was my first executive minister. And he had been around a long time and was kind of worn out by life. And you used to say to Bill, Bill, how are you doing? And he'd say, well, I'm still able to sit up and take nourishment. (laughs) Well, thank God. I'm looking forward to some uh, turkey dinner with gravy and with mashed potatoes and with stuffings and some pearled onions all mixed in there. And I'm looking forward to some pumpkin pie on Thursday. I thank God I can taste and eat food. He's not here right now because he's on a cruise, but Dr. Bob Mai is a New Testament scholar, retired as dean of Fuller Seminary. He hasn't eaten a meal in years. Years. Because cancer has taken away his ability to eat. He lives out of a bottle. I thank God I can simply eat. I thank God I could get up this morning. Sarah Jimenez cannot get out of bed this morning. But you could, I could. I thank God for that. There's so much that we can be thankful for, and I thank God... Uh, I didn't get an acorn, but I thank God for acorns, that you can plant seeds and that if you're a parent, you can bless your children and your grandchildren and you can mold them and shape them as they go forward in life. You can turn your no's into yeses. I was thinking as I was going through this of our first church again, I told you a little bit about Miss Henschel. Never married, never had children, smelled bad. Well, I I was thinking of three women who made our vacation Bible school happen. We had a small church there. We would about double the population of the church. We'd have to move all the pews out of the sanctuary just to accommodate all the kids that came. Because there were three women who never married. One of them, thank God, she was mean. But uh, God saved her. She still tried to help kids. There were three women who never married. They loved children. And they would finance our vacation Bible school. They promoted it, and they made it happen. You see, they turned their no's into yes's. The mean when she had uh, these Doberman pinchers they bought bit our son he still got a scar that's just wanted to explain I better wrap up I'm glad this morning <laughs> I don't know about you but I'm thankful for this morning and I want you to stand with me and sing not sing but say this uh song of praise this comes right out of the scripture these are the words of David and I'd like to read this together with a sense of enthusiasm with a sense of joy as we uh, praise the Lord. So let's read this slowly and with some power, all right? Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all.